0: Well, I'm John Markowski, your holiday preacher. You may know me from such sermons as the July 4th message, citizen of heaven, or the labor of love sermon from Labor Day weekend. And now I am back to deliver the Christmas message for 2020. And what a year it has been. I'm not going to list out all the things that have happened. You fill in the blanks, the highlights, the low lights, the ring lights, the pains, the gains. Today, though, I'll be speaking on the title, God is Jehovah Jireh. And I'm especially excited about this one because it's in Hebrew. And shout out to all my Hebrews out there who lit the menorah this last week. Happy Hanukkah and L'chaim. Of course, it's a thrill for me when my heritage and my holidays overlap. You know, my mother was a young Jewish woman leaving home when she finally got her hands on a version of the New Testament. And she curiously started reading through the pages of this book that she was never allowed to read growing up. And she found herself riveted. And when she finally finished, she found herself weeping. Just weeping tears of joy. It was like reading the sequel to the book that she had been grown up with her whole life and never knew existed. And everything started connecting and completing in the person of Jesus. She saw Jesus as kind of like a new Adam who passed the garden test and entered paradise. Uh, Moses, you know, parted the seas for the people to be free. Jesus parts the walls of sin for all people to be spiritually free. She saw King David, who is the apple of God's eye, but really Jesus as the father's true son who defeated the biggest giant in Satan. And instead of shedding others' blood for the kingdom, he shed his own for the kingdom cause. She saw Esther, you know, giving a meal and risking her place at the royal palace to save her people. And here's Jesus who gives his own body as the communion meal to save the whole world. Uh, she saw a new Jonah three days down and then raised to preach. She saw a new Isaac offered up to death by his own father. And this Jesus did die, but then raised to a new life. You know, I could go on and on about what mom Discovered, But I want to stop at that last one, at Isaac, because that's where we get the reference to Jehovah-Jireh. So let's turn our Bibles to Genesis chapter 22 and find out more about this name of God. Here the context is that God told Abraham to sacrifice his one and only son. And Jews call this story the binding, or in Hebrew, the akedah. And so after he and his wife, for many decades, couldn't have kids, they get this promise of a child. It happens later in life for them. And after all of that, the answered prayer, the vision is cast. Then God says, it's time to sacrifice your one and only son. And crazy, Abraham obeys. He he believes that this is God, God of the promise. Somehow he's going to figure out a way to make this all work out. So here we are in Genesis chapter 22, and I'll start in verse 10. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. Here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to harm him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. So Abraham looked up, and there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. And to this day, it is said, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. You know, when my mom became a Jew for Jesus... I used to be with her sometimes at the meetings and get in the singing circles, and I remember one song in particular, and it went like this. Jehovah Jireh, my provider, his grace is sufficient for me, for me, for me. And it went faster and faster and faster, and as a kid I'd get exhausted. I loved it. And indeed, God is a great provider. We have everything we need for life and godliness, but this song takes a tricky turn. Yes, God's provider. But then on the other hand, it says, my grace is sufficient. What's that all about? Well, we have to consult Paul and turn our Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 12 to find out. So let's go over there. Here, Paul is talking about some kind of a thorn in his flesh. We don't even know exactly what it was might have been some temptation or an actual person, maybe a physical pain. Paul went through a lot. Maybe it was an actual thorn caught up in his robe somewhere and he couldn't find it. and all was scratching him. I, I don't know. Anyway, the point is he prays three times for God to take this thorn away. And here comes the answer from God in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 in verse 9. It says, But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect In weakness in other words sometimes we just suffer and that doesn't mean though that God loves us any less you know I think about 2020 I think about a lot of the suffering that we've gone through but God's grace is still enough you know, me personally, it's been a weird few months. Uh, I've had two surgeries during COVID. One landed me seven stitches and a stint in my tongue. The other 19 stitches on my forehead, still healing. Uh, I never had a surgery my whole life until this year, and now it just didn't seem like the best time to go in for them. but I needed them, and his grace is sufficient. His power made perfect in weakness. You know, my wife, Arlene, had a a really hard fall a few months ago, went face first into the concrete jungle, gashed her face, got road rash on her shoulders and on her hands. She actually broke her orbital bone. But his grace is sufficient. His power made perfect in weakness. Uh, Both of our phones were stolen in some trade-in scam. It's been crazy. And then last week, after everything, I tweaked my ankle And it it was fine at first. It was just a little bit weird feeling. But then three days later, everything below my knee turned green. Uh, It was really weird. And the pain was crazy. I couldn't sleep at night. went to the hospital. And amen, I'm healing. But his grace is sufficient. His power made perfect in weakness. And my stories don't even compare to yours, Uh, what you've been through this year. I see it every week in the chat when we get on here and we ask for prayer requests. Pray for me. My, my mom has COVID. My uh, dad has cancer. I found out I lost my job. I'm in pain. My, my prayer list is the longest that it's ever been. And we've really got to hang out, especially this year, hang on to the hope that when we're weak, he is strong. It doesn't say that when we're weak, we're strong. Sometimes we want to like twist the scripture a little bit, but what it says is his power Is made perfect in our weakness. It's kind of like a parent holding a child's hand as they cross the street. You know, the child is young and vulnerable and weak, but that weakness shows off how strong mom or dad is. It's a powerful image that reminds us of how God holds us. Now, back to the Akeda, Genesis 22. And I want to read verse 14 to you but in a little different version. Why don't you see if you can catch in the King James what's different here than when we read before. Genesis 22:14. And Abraham called the name of that place Jehovah-Jireh. As it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord it shall be seen. You're probably thinking what I was thinking. Where's my provider? Where is that great song that I grew up with? Why does it say seen here? Why is it different than the other translation? Well, let's break this down. So in the Hebrew, we see these words, Jehovah Jireh, uh, which is from uh, Yahweh Yireh. Yahweh, we learned a few weeks ago from Steve Kennard, is the tetragrammaton, the name of God. And some people don't even say it out loud because it's so sacred. So that's Yahweh, the name for God. And then Yireh from the verb to see. God sees. Two times we see it here in verse 14. The first time literally means God sees, and the second time it means God will be seen. So again, what about God will provide? Where did that go? What about the song? Now, let me get this straight. I do believe that God is a great provider, and you can probably extrapolate the meaning here, but it's not in the original language, not in the Hebrew text. And to me, this is more like a father seeing beyond the immediate physical needs and knowing what's in our hearts, seeing our soul's desire, and in this case, knowing Abraham and knowing Isaac. Now, we say these words all the time. We say, I see you. It's in our cultural vernacular, right? Uh, In fact, why don't we call someone out in the chat right now and just write their name and then I see you, right? So example, uh, Ross, I see you. Uh, Shauna, I see you. All right, Talia, I see you. All right, Jaden, I see you. Let's do that right now. Just pick someone out in the chat, someone that you know is on here. Write their name and then say I see you. Now, as we're doing that, let's think. What are we saying when we say I see you? Well, we're saying I recognize you. We're saying I acknowledge you. I get you. I understand where you're coming from. And that's God. God knows us deeper than we know ourselves. So the way that he provides doesn't always look like the way you expect it to, because he sees what's behind the need. Now, going back to Abraham, I don't know what he expected, but I'm pretty sure it didn't involve handcuffs and a machete. So he has to figure out, okay, how do I trust God? Because I know he's the God who sees. You know, we all thought 2020 was going to be the year of clear vision, 2020 vision, And we were all pumped up for Disneyland. I mean, the World Discipleship Summit. And we were ready to leave 2019 in the past. But here we are, 10 months of quarantine, mask wearing, global shutdown, schools open, schools closed, indoor dining, no indoor dining. New York is the epicenter. New York is the great example. I'm here to tell you that through all that God sees you through the fear and the uncertainty and the trauma. You know, he didn't forget Moses in the desert. He didn't forget Daniel in the lion's den. He didn't forget Jesus on the cross and he hasn't forgotten you. He still sees you. Do you believe it? You know, my, my father, I think about him. He's really creative when it comes to uh, gifts and punishments. My father is a retired medieval history professor and when we were growing up at home he got real creative. Well, one time I snuck out after everyone went to sleep and I I went to a movie with my friends and I got caught and I got grounded. All right? I got two weeks grounded but I also got an assignment. My dad said I needed to write a four page paper breaking down the film that I snuck out to go see. And at the time I thought this is ridiculous I'd rather just be grounded for a longer period of time. I don't want to write a four-page paper. My 13-year-old self is like, this is crazy. But I remember back now, and I think, wow, oh, he, he punished me, but it was with purpose and with love. He, he wanted me to learn something through it. You know, later, I was probably around 15 years old at the time. One Christmas, my dad got me a gift where he opened up a stock trading account for me and put a little money into it. And I thought, I don't care about stocks, this is stupid, this is foolish, I don't it's a waste of time. I'd rather get a Nintendo game or just take me out to cheeseburgers, like it really doesn't mean anything to me. But I went along with it, and I put a little money into a company called Apple. <laughs> now don't get too excited, I had like four shares, and I cashed out before I graduated high school. But I saw it grow, and I saw that my dad, and he knew something in there, in me, beyond what I knew in myself, and that's God. That's our Father in Heaven. When we think about earthly dads and earthly moms and what they do for us, how much more does our Father in Heaven know us? He knows what we can handle, and He knows what we can't. And yeah, He's going to put our faith to the test. We're going to be on our knees praying, but He helps us through it with purpose and love. God sees you. But then there's another side. He doesn't just see us. He also makes Himself seen. And I believe the big miracle of the Genesis story wasn't the ram in the thicket. I think it was God showing up on the scene. That was the five o'clock news, because no one saw God. There was even laws about not making images and what you thought God looked like. Even just seeing him from the back was bonkers, huge deal. Now let me give you another biblical example, just a few chapters earlier in Genesis that ties into this. Hagar, right? You remember Hagar, she had it pretty rough. Abraham takes her as a mistress. They find out they're going to have a kid together. Abraham's wife, Sarah, loses it on Hagar, so she runs off. So she's out there pregnant, alone, in the wilderness, and God shows up. God sees her, but then makes himself seen. And in Genesis 16, verse 13, the same Hebrew word that we're studying out shows up in Hagar, and she says, I have now seen the God who sees me. God picks ways to reveal himself to us. And what is the ultimate way that God does that? What's the ultimate way in all of human history that God has decided to show himself to the world? Would it be with his power and his angel armies, the, maybe appearing in a pillar of smoke, a burning bush, an angel of death? Nah, been there, done that. Or, or maybe he's going to show up uh, like Solomon, drop in unfathomable knowledge. Now, how does he show up? And the best example we can think of on the planet, well, it's a seven-pound, six-ounce, squirmy, crying, baby Jewish Jesus. That's how he shows up. Yes, a helpless infant. It doesn't make sense, right? Or does it does not make perfect sense? Let's read the miracle of the Incarnation in Luke chapter 2. It says in verse 8, There were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. You know, God decides to show up in East Bethlehem. You know, the king of the Jews should be born in Jerusalem, right? I mean, that's the city of the temple, which, by the way, is where the Jews believed that the Akedah happened. So they're hanging out there waiting for God to show up. Nobody's in Bethlehem. And this this royal birth doesn't happen in a palace or a ruler's mansion. The best doctors in the land aren't there. There's not even a doula. This birth happens in the barnyard back room. And yeah, we get some stargazing intellectuals in the house, but most of the guests at the birth party are shepherds. And in the first century, shepherds were the dirtiest, most dishonest, rough-and-tumble, even unclean by Jewish law group of people. They're nobodies, uneducated, outcasts, and usually the last ones to find out about news because they're way out there. And we don't get a pottery barn crib or even an Ikea one. It's probably more like a hole in the ground. And in Jesus' day, about 30% of babies didn't make it through childbirth. And another 30% didn't make it past six years old. So not many kids made it and times were tight mouths to feed so not much value was even put on a child. A kid wasn't even considered a real person until adulthood. The child was the least form of humanity. In fact, the Greek word "pais" even means child but also slave. So, so what's going on here? The savior of the world, the Messiah, God's one and only son is born as a profiled minority under oppressive government control, treated like a foreigner in his native land, a scandalous pregnancy to a couple of young, scared, witless parents. Heaven never erupted for something so small. Vulnerable, powerless, and helpless. And guys, that's the secret of Christmas. That Christ was born so God could be seen. Not inaccessible, behind the curtain, intimidating, but right there with you. And not just for the rich and for the educated, but for the poor and the marginalized and the foreigner and the outcast. God's present to us is his presence. Let me say that again. God's present to us is his presence. His Christmas gift to us every day is Jesus with us. You know, I love Anita Robertson's poem. She writes, When God wants something great done in this world, He doesn't dispatch a legion of avenging angels, neither does He call forth a whirlwind, nor ignite the fuse of volcanic fireworks, no commandeering of troops into battle, nor discharging zealous crusaders to holy causes. He does not orchestrate the burst and boom of thunder, nor display His fiery arrow's majesty across the sky to bring His purpose to pass. When God wants something great, Done in this world, he sends a baby and then he waits. This poem reminds me of Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. Therefore, the Lord Himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. And what does Emmanuel mean? God with us. So from Mount Moriah to messiah through pain and gain highlight and low light rose and thorn god is with us through that impurity that divorce that dumb mistake that hurtful comment that broken relationship that lost dream what used to be through it all god sees us and is with us you know i love uh, christmas gifts and uh, i got one here and uh, i just i just get super excited uh, about opening uh, Christmas presents. Uh, let me know if you do too in the chat. And I just, I love guessing uh, what's in there. And, you know, I wrapped this one myself. I know what's in there, but I'm still really excited about it. I love the surprise element. I love ripping the wrapping paper open. And, you know, it makes me think about the wise men when they brought gifts for baby Jesus. They brought gold and frankincense and myrrh, which seemed like really terrible gifts for a baby at a birth party. Uh, What's this poor little family going to do with a gold brick and pricey spices? But again, this is God seeing this little family. Instead of, quote-unquote, providing what immediate physical needs they thought they might need, God sees them, all right? They might want changing clothes and the Christmas list has got, you know, food and maybe a new traveling donkey, but God gets them something better. Guess what you can do with gold and these spices? You can trade them. You can use them like cash, and you can get all that and then some. He saw them, and he made himself seen. Now, sometimes we don't like the wrapping paper on the gifts that God gives us. We say, God, I don't see you. I I prayed for a new job, and now I'm fired. We say, God, I don't see you. I I prayed for love, but I feel more isolated now than ever. God, I don't see you. I just want to be healthy, and I'm not. And and these things are hard and real, and I'm not going to pretend to explain God. But I know when I think of how I've seen God this year in the midst of crazy challenges, I am astounded. And I want to challenge the church to make a seen God list. All right? How did I see God in 2020? You know, I started on mine. You know, I'm not just going to preach it. I had to do it myself. So I got to a full page in just a couple of minutes. I was surprised. Now, God didn't show up all the ways I thought he was going to show up. But when I thought about it, He certainly made himself seen. I'll give you a couple quick examples. You know, we spend a lot of time with the people we live with in in quarantine. And shout out to the parents out there uh, living with kids, especially grade school kids. I see you. And and when you're locked up in New York City apartments for 10 months, it can either go really good or really bad. (laughs) For us, it's gone really good. It's been an incredible blessing. I've never felt closer to my family. I also think about the church. You know, yes, I hate the fact that we can't meet together in person, and I miss it, and I can't wait to be back together. But meeting all together congregationally is a great blessing. Hearing from so many different spiritual voices, both in the New York church and outside, Uh, seeing the chat light up with encouragement and connection, how creative we've all gotten with dates and birthdays and weddings and baptisms. We've seen also more souls added this year in COVID than all of last year. God has showed himself. In our lives. And we got to ask ourselves, you know, in the same way He's been present with me, how can I be there for someone else this Christmas? What will I do to comfort someone, to encourage a neighbor, to surprise a friend, or be there for a brother and sister in need? And isn't that Christmas? Christmas is God sees us and makes Himself seen. Not only in the world and through His Son, but also through us and the love that we show. You know, that baby Jesus grew up and eventually would make the ultimate sacrifice. And just like the ram that was caught in the thicket and Isaac was set to die, Jesus was caught in a crown of thorns and set to die on a cross. And while Isaac was spared, Jesus wasn't. But even in that moment, God had a plan beyond everyone's imaginations to be seen once again in the resurrection. Let's pray for the communion at this time. God in heaven, Jehovah Jireh, Yahweh Yireh. we honor you as the God who sees us and thank you for that. Beyond everything that is seen visibly and physically, you see the depths of our heart and you love us the same. And God, thank you for being the God who shows up who isn't just seeing us but makes himself seen. And we thank you for all the ways you've done that in 2020. Help us to have the faith to believe and trust that you see us and that you will provide in your way. Help us for the times and forgive us for the times that we haven't had the faith to see the way you're working. We pray to be like your son, to have that trust even in the most challenging of times. And thank you for his sacrifice and the victory of the resurrection, going back to the victory of his birth, We celebrate him in a special way during this Christmas time. We thank you for this. We honor you in this. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.